Hey, everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes is a Goal podcast, the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I've got a really fun conversation with Richard Louie. Richard is a journalist with 30 years of experience, an entrepreneur, and an author. I wanted to talk to him because his recent book, Enough About Me, teaches you how to make selflessness a goal. That's not a goal you hear a lot about. It's much easier, especially in the age of social media, to focus on yourself. So I was curious, and the opening story we talk about in this episode made me so nervous. What happened? Well, you'll just that's a little bit of a teaser. You'll just have to see. We'll jump into his bio in just a second. But first, today's episode is sponsored by me. That's right. Today's sponsor is me. I've been really surprised at how many people who listen to this podcast have reached out to me about having me speak at their events. I love that. And here's why. Over the last 13 years, I've had the honor to help hundreds of companies like Nissan, Walmart, Microsoft, and Comedy Central at events around the world. And during that time, I've developed three big goals for your event. Number one, I want to slingshot your audience into the best year they've ever had. Whether I'm opening, closing, or somewhere in the middle of the event, I want to launch everyone out of that room with actionable, memorable things that they can apply to their work and lives immediately. Number two, my second goal, I want the sound team engaged and laughing. The sound team has heard it all. They have. And if I can make them laugh and learn along the way, the audience is going to absolutely love the keynote. And number three, my third goal, I want you to get text messages during the keynote. My favorite sentence to hear from you after I speak is, John, my phone was blowing up during your keynote. I'm there to make you look like a rock star, not me. If your boss texts you during my speech and compliments you on how well the event is going, then I know I've done my job. Whether it's virtual or live, 10,000 people in an arena or 15 sales team members on WebEx or Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams, I'd love to help you with your next event. Fill out the quick form at acuff.me slash speaking to check my availability. That's acuff, A-C-U-F-F dot M-E slash speaking. All right, please enjoy my conversation with Richard Louie. Veteran journalist Richard Louie has more than 30 years in television, film, technology, and business. Currently at MSNBC and previously with CNN Worldwide, you've probably heard of them before, he is the first Asian-American man to anchor a daily national cable news program, which is amazing, and a Team Emmy and Peabody winner. In addition to journalism, Richard's 15-year business career involves a fintech patent and launching six tech brands over three business cycles. He has lived, worked, and volunteered on every continent. We're going to have to 100% ask about that because I, I got a lot of Antarctica questions. Richard is a celebrity <laughs> champion for the Alzheimer's Association, caregiving champion for AARP, and caregiving ambassador for Bright Focus Foundation. That's an amazing bio. Richard, thanks for joining me today. John, thanks for having me. Yeah, I think it's going to be a ton of fun. I want to jump right in. I've got your book right here. Love the book. You've got a copy behind you. Um, I've got one in my hand. 
And I just want to tell you right out of the gate, the opening story about your audition in CNN, um, it made me so nervous for you. Like I, I got sweaty reading it. Yeah. Can you tell people a little about that experience? Because I think not everybody's had that experience, but everybody's had an experience where it doesn't go the way they think it's going to go. Yeah, I mean, basically, I so I, it was my first gig, John, and I flew in from Singapore because I was working in, there, and I, I had this audition, and so I was like, oh, gee, I get, I get to sit in, at the desk, right, at mm-hmm. CNN for my audition, and what the way these auditions work is that it's it's exactly like a broadcast we'd watch on TV, except it's just not being broadcast. Mm-hmm. So everything is like the teleprompter, the producers. You know, the video's rolling and everything. And so they had me sit down. And first of all, you're nervous because the desk is the desk. And at that time, you know, CNN was the only international gig in the world. It was the gig in the U.S., obviously. Um, and th- the producer says, you know, read the teleprompter. I was like, I got that. You know, I can read. So I read the tele- teleprompter. And then uh, the executive producer gets in my ear and says, we... We have uh, some breaking news, and this is during an, an advertisement or a, a, a piece of sound that they're playing, and it's the, a plane is down, and I want you to summarize it when we come on back. And then I'm like, what are they doing? And then she does it again, and each time she does that, it's twice. I was like, this is, a, this is an audition. I'm supposed to be reading a teleprompter and asking questions, not doing this breaking whatever it is. All Did you get the sense she was trying to throw you in that moment? Like, yeah, that this, was, this is the test? I, I, I did not know how important it would be i had heard they might do it okay but not the way she had done it two or three times right and so it did throw me and i did think she was going to throw me it did throw me i was you know i was sweating and i didn't have any tissue or uh, um any uh, i didn't have a powder puff so i took the the scripts and i was pressing it into my face to take off the sweat just wiping yourself with pieces of paper. pieces of paper yeah. and then you on the other side you'd see the makeup on the paper basically yeah uh and then i was you know you know what we do when we're, we get nervous i was like you know i was going like this and you know shaking my hands you can't see it but i'm shaking a fist right <laughs> now and I, what i learned uh you know uh, through a uh, voice class was you know the way you clear your voice is you, you do these sort of like bumblebee 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 things like that right mm-hmm. uh so I was doing all of this because I knew I wasn't on camera. The camera wasn't yeah. on, right? Because it was during the piece of sound that they were playing. Like she tells me to come back on. And then I, I deliver the breaking news. And I think I, I hit it. And then later on, I talked to my my agent. And I didn't get the job. And I, the agent, she says, well, wh- wh- how'd it go? I said, I told her this entire story, John. And she said, well, I know why you didn't get it. It's what you were doing when you were off camera. It wasn't what you were reading into the camera. They were watching you because it's not like the camera's off being broadcast, but they're watching you to see how you handle this. And I start with that example, John, because it is what we do off camera that counts. And my dad taught me that as a, as a pastor because it wasn't what he was doing when he was standing in front and, and talking. It's what he would always say. It'd be, it'd be the coffee hour. It would be outside when he's in the streets. That was what counted when you were off camera. The off camera moments. And I, I think what's interesting to me about that story too, because I love your background. You you kind of casually said, I was just coming in from Singapore. And when you read the book, it's an intense story because you haven't slept well. You've just done an international flight. You're juggling a million things. And same with breaking news. I mean, like 
That phrase, summarize a plane crash, the average person can't go, no problem. I got that. I'll <laughs> summarize a plane crash. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, we talk a lot about goals on this podcast. How do you transition from highly intense moments back to a regular moment? Like, it'd be really easy to kind of get addicted to the adrenaline, the energy, like, and then crash and burn, highs and lows. But how do you, you've just broke a breaking news story. There's tons of natural adrenaline that comes for that. And you have to transition back between these moments of high performance, kind of medium performance. What's that process look like for you? Um, I think the best thing is uh, repetition. Mm-hmm. So re- repeat environments um, made me feel more comfortable with the variation of those extreme moments of high to low. So uh, that would be one. Two would be to, and this is you know, there's no news to anybody. You know, I would we review tapes, and um, so for for any other industry, what is the equivalent of that tape? And and maybe you do tape it. Maybe you do do the exercise that puts you in that. that what, if it's, let's say it's a negotiation. Let's say it's a contract negotiation. Let's say you know it's a it's a it's a it's a sell, right? It's that presentation. Yes, those. It, some folks like to say, "Oh, you know, I I'm good off the cuff. I'm just good. I don't need it." You know, they didn't start that way, and the majority of them that can do that did not start that way. They started by laying out every single point and idea. I still write out questions, John, before an interview, but I may not use any of them, but I still prepare. And just like on, on, on Meet the Press, um, when, you know, Tim Russert, uh, for those who know Tim Russert or, or that great program where he would interview our politicians of, of the day, he laid out just like. The 49ers uh, did as well. Bill Walsh, the first 25 plays, and he laminated it before every game. Mm-hmm. And he knew exactly where he was going to go, and he did not go off of that script. Now, do the script, do the practice, self-analyze, because watching yourself on tape, John, I know you, you and I, you were both in this sort of space. It's not fun. It's brutal. I hate it. I, I, don't, I don't like, like listening to my own podcast. My voice is terrible. I want to apologize most of the time. I was like, I don't like my voice. It your voice is great, right, man. I, I, right it's, tone. It's, it's so rich and unique and round. Yeah, it's, that's nice that you just say. It's the microphone. A lot of it is. It's a fan. <laughs> I really invested yeah. in it. I had a kind of a super nerd tell me buy this microphone and that helped. Sound effects. All right. Yeah, all right, all right. Anyway, you got my point is go there. Go to those points of discomfort. That uh, and And so for me, Handling breaking news was a lot of that. Well, to to your point about discomfort, it's interesting you, you mentioned that word. So your book is titled Enough About Me, The Unexpected Power of Selflessness. And I would say there is some discomfort there in the sense that a lot of times the books we want to talk about are, this is how I can be the most amazing me and like how to build my own yeah. world. And yeah. like one thing on Instagram that's always popular is like, you got to eliminate toxic people as if it's like you against the sea of toxic yep. people yep. and kind of, this is me. One, why did you write a book that's counter to that? And two, how would you define selflessness? You know, it was, it was, I was living through this time that, you know, as a reporter watching all of these people being selfish, killing people at random. Uh, We're living through it right now in the Asian American community as we look across the United States. Why is it that this group is being targeted and and, and they can be beaten and kicked? And and, and we saw with George Floyd, we've seen in the African American community, these stories that I've had to tell. I've seen it with just random mass shooters that I've stayed on at Newtown, Connecticut, 
Why are we doing this to our elementary school students of the of our country? All these sorts of stories come to you. You want to summarize it, like a Sunday show. You you can't help but do that. And the summary, like with the with the pandemic, and why are people not wearing masks around people like my parents who are very susceptible to this stuff? You know, I don't know any better. I'm not a scientist. I got to listen to these scientists, and that's what they're telling me. All these things together. And, and, and this is not about any sort of uh, political bent, but more of just we're living in a selfish pandemic. We're living in a time where it is so cheap to be hateful and to be violent. And we are it is brought on by, as I write in the book, this sort of meist space that we've really perfected. We've got all the tools, John, you know that, to be very meist. Mm-hmm. And so as a journalist, that book is only approaching it as that as a journalist exploring an idea and what could be the response to the selfish pandemic. And that is a a small book about being selfless. I tried, because I love business books. I mean, Mm -hmm. you as a successful author, as a a bestseller, and one of these days I'd love to be like you, is that you know that sort of culture of making the ideas constructive and productive. And the approach to the book was that it would be like a business book to offer you real things you can do every day. And so that's why it's like a self-help book, an anti-self-self-help book in its approach. And I love, I mean, so you use the phrase a selfishness pandemic, that you're not talking about the pandemic everybody thinks about. You're talking about a much bigger, one that's been going on far longer, far persuasive, um, a pandemic of, of selfishness. I love that idea. What do you think has been the impact of social media on selfishness? Like, how, how has that impacted the way we approach that, that idea? It certainly has helped us uh, to uh, manifest uh, what we believe to be our one of our inherent rights, which is to be famous. Oh, that we have an inherent right to be famous. Yeah, that's we believe that, right? That's that's we have. Is that that of, Andy Warhol? Like everybody gets fifteen minutes of fame, and well, we think we it's believe bigger. More, we yeah, exactly. We believe a little bit more than that right now. I think fifteen oh. is way too little, right? Yeah, that's a snack. Come on, Andy, give me like a year. Yeah, exactly. You got to give me a year oh, or five good. or an existence. And so that very idea that we have that inherent right to be famous, the social media certainly has been a great tool for that. On the flip side, it's been a great tool for the solutions to many of our ills, to many of the the, the steps forward that we've seen around the world. So it, it, it really cuts both ways, as you know so well. But yes, it is one of the great tools that our great country has been able to create and perfect in a meist time. Do you think people are afraid of being selfless? Like, what's the worry? Because when I am selfless, I feel different. When I've given, when I've done something for somebody else with no expectation of return, when I've gone out of my way, I feel different. I can sense an inherent difference. But why are people afraid to try that, to be selfless? What do they think the cost is going to be or the risk? Isn't that what you do on Sundays, John? Be selfless on Sundays? Isn't it, isn't it above your pay grade? Isn't it a little Pollyannish? It is a little weird to be talking about selflessness, right? Or it, it's not like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Well, let's talk about how Wall Street's doing. Let's look at Main Street. Let's talk about selflessness. It's a little strange. I get that. And so I, I think that's why, that's one reason, culturally, it's just like, we don't, we don't share. So share a story on, on social media about somebody being selfless. Start to change the cultural dynamic, the mm-hmm. way we understand how to do it and the way to talk about it. I think that's, that's one space that bring your, 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 you know, your two ideas together in, in one, one answer. 
And then in, in addition to that, when we think of why, we also think it's like a Desmond Tutu and Mother Teresa-like. We think it's a yeah. gargantuan thing. Mm-hmm. And what we do in the book instead, we, we deconstruct it and we say, no, it is a lot of little things. It's a lot of bite-sized things. It's daily things. It is who you have lunch with. It's how you clean the counter at work. It is bringing in donuts to your, your, your fellow coworkers. It is saying thank you. It is, you know, all these little things do work. And it's, it's more than that. We actually look at, you know, by being a selfless person, you, you do make more of like 50 to 60% more over 14. We looked into a study that, that tracked careers over 14 years. Yeah, you do make more money if you're selfless. It really is true. Selfless leaders, their organizations are 50% more efficient. 50%. 50%. That's staggering. That's in career payoff. You can, and and uh, that study, which we look into, you can, you can drill down and take a look at it. Even if they're off by a factor of 10, you're still increasing productivity by 5%. Take it, right? These are all unintended benefits. You look better too when you're selfless. Mm-hmm. So we can go on and on. The ROI on selfless is, That's right. is fantastic. It's it's fan- it's I, the way I say it is jerks do win sometimes, but it's always temporary. Because when yes. you're a leader who's a jerk, your people can't wait to leave you. And That's they're right. just waiting for just the slightest opportunity. Um, and you know, when you make a mistake, that's when it becomes a downfall. You haven't built anything into the love bank and it's, it's going to collapse almost immediately. So I'm curious, you mentioned cleaning the break room. You said that one. I love that part in the book. Did Seth Meyers really microwave tuna in the 30 (laughs) rock break room? Is that a, is that a thing that, is that Uh, because you hate Seth Meyers? I I love Seth Meyers. Okay. Okay. I think he's great. No, No, Seth is great. Uh, but he's he's he is definitely that's the talk in the building over at Thirty Rock where I work. Fish in the break room, yeah. hot fish is what you're telling me. <laughs> that's what I mean. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. But I don't. Yeah, that to me that is on par with cutting your toenails at the office. Like you're not eat hot fish at home all day. But when it's a microwave at work, I just feel like that was. I don't want to say shocking because I don't think that's shocking, but. If I was going to have a shocking reveal, if this was TMZ, like that would be the angle they would cover on, on this book. But I, I love little I, details like that. You have a lot more humor in here than I think you probably give yourself credit for. I, I put together a team of 10 people for the book because I knew I couldn't do it alone. Um, and I know as a journalist, we the, the, the typical thing is you write, you write everything on your own, do everything on your own. No, I, I brought in a scientist. I brought in an assistant researcher. Mm-hmm. I brought in... Uh, I can I can keep on telling all the consultants I brought in. Uh, I call her my book Sherpa. Nancy was fantastic as as my book Sherpa. Nancy French and two comedians that I, that work in in my space. You know, in, in late night, I said, you know, how can I make this me? Because I I like I'm not that serious of a person all the time. And so I brought in poets at the end of the book. There are four poems. I did four collabs with two poets. There's a, a cartoonist that I worked with and we spent, I had a lot of fun doing the cartoons, by the way, John, because mm-hmm. I, for a moment I was living through uh, the cartoonist thinking yeah. I could come up with this stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it looks like, it's like uh, magic. You're like, I could probably figure that out. And then you try it and you're like, this is the hardest thing. I yes. think we can, we all think we can dunk when we watch the NBA yes, and then you exactly. realize right. I can't do a layup really. Yeah. Only with all. Nerf. Only with yeah, Nerf. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's an interesting to hear that part of your process from a writing perspective 
you know, how long did the book take? What were the things that, you know, you said, wow, I went in thinking this about writing a book and I learned it was this because there's a lot of people. It's one of America's most common goals is according to the New York Times, 81% of people want to write a book. Mm. You know, that's what adults say. So how, how did this change during the process? I hadn't heard somebody bring such a full team. I think that's awesome. What did you learn during the process? Uh, it takes a team, number one. Uh, number two, um, definitely try to have fun with it uh, along the way and don't do it alone. Mm-hmm. Don't do it alone because I learned so much from everybody. Yeah, so having a, having a team sounds like it was a, a major part of it. I created new chapters too, John, because of that. Whole new chapters. Oh yeah, whole new chapters. You know, Nancy and I would talk and I'd say, I got this brand new idea. You know, I want to do this on, so like gratitude came up because of working with the scientist. And uh, there's a, chap- a part of a chapter about unmitigated selflessness, giving too much, right? And then the neg- negative effects of giving too much. That came up with working with a different research. So all of these things started to, I'd add in chapters as I'd talk with different team members as we were working on different things. How long did it take you? So I'm talking about like you have the idea yeah. to, you have gotten that sweet, sweet email from the publisher, from Zondervan that says, your manuscript's accepted, like you're great. I was talking to my agents about it. <laughs> Because this is right in the middle of COVID. This is March 2020. Yeah. I mean, John, I mean, you know this better than I. I I'm this is my fir- I'm a first timer. Like it is definitely laid out over a certain period of time. I'm sure. And I'm thinking, is this the right time that we should be pitching? Because that then they came back and they said, no, people are buying books more than ever. So let's mm-hmm. go. Yep. And the the publishers loved it. It took me six months uh, once we signed to finish it because I wanted to get it out as soon as possible knowing that we were living through this tough time. I definitely knew the market for, if you will, we need to do something about Mm selfishness was there and we needed, therefore, get this out sooner. I I love it. Are you already working on another one? Uh, I am. Okay. How soon after you finished that one did you start working on the other one? Uh, About a month and a half or two. Oh, that's good. I love that. Is that what you do too? Yeah, I mean, because I'd love to say I start the next day, but my head's just not in that space. And I, I start to gather ideas. I'm curious, what's your idea collection system like? So you're walking somewhere, a great idea comes to you, or you hear something somebody says, and you think, oh, wait, there's more to that. How do you collect your ideas? How do you sort them? How do you shape them? Like, what does that process look like for you? Uh, so that started, John, when I wanted to become a news anchor and switch careers from business to journalism. And I started this thing out of business school uh, that I call a career log. So I wouldn't have to drive any family members or loved ones crazy every time I came up with an idea. You know, oh, I got this idea. You got to hear about it. You know, I, and I I realized I got to stop going, ooh. Uh, so I created a uh, Google Doc, a Word Doc at the time that turned into Google Doc. Every time I have an idea, I put it in there and then I review that that idea sheet at least once a year to rethink what I want to do in life. So when it came to the book, the same idea, I, uh, I would just put it in there and then I would every time I'd, whatever the team is at that time, review the ideas. I would not use up those very valuable interactions with people like yourself. So John, let's say you agreed to be a consultant on my next book. Mm-hmm. I would definitely be putting all those things in that little document. And then the times that we would meet maybe three times in a year, mm-hmm. right? I would say, okay, John, this is what I'm thinking right now. I would not uh-huh. waste the time coming to you with unsort of thought about ideas first. You'd let them marinate first. Yeah, I gotta. I mean, it, 
And that's that's the thing about, as you know, when you're talking to individuals who are either leading businesses or are in business and are thinking about career moves, the first question I always ask is, did you write this down before you talked to me about it? Oh. Have you spent any time, just yeah. you and that idea, before you're talking with me? Not because I think I'm all that special. I'm just thinking, I know it works better that way. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, my follow-up question generally is when folks ask about a new business idea or uh, a new career is, okay, what's the name of that business? What would you call it? Where would it be? How much would it cost? Who, who would be your partners? What's the scarce resource? Those are the things I would want to be able to answer if I were to come to you. Now, I don't, I don't have, to, have to be like a full business plan. Sure. But at least like a, an email. Oh, that's good. That is so good right? because I think we often, you know, and you talk in chapter six about mentors. Um, I think we often mess up mentor relationships by giving them, um, you know, a postage stamp of an idea we had in the shower. And then they go, well, let me give you what I think about that. Yeah. And they react to your postage stamp, but there's nothing to react to. Yeah. They're now thinking about it more than you have. That's and, correct. And you, That's wow, right. I hadn't thought about that. What questions, you know, should you be prepared to come talk about when you get somebody's advice? That's great. And you know what I do, John, is I, I say, write the email you're going to send to your mentor after, before you meet with them on top of that. So you have your idea that you have in your career log, but then write the email that you're going to send after you meet with them so that you already know what your goals are, basically. Thank you for talking to me about this. I appreciate this. That's right. Look forward to you connecting me too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's your job too. That's the other thing. Mentors were an important part of your life. And I love that idea of it's your job to make the mentor's job easy. So that's what you're, I mean, that's what you're talking about. Yes. Like it's your job to follow up. It's not their job to follow up. I, I had a mentor tell me, when somebody wants to meet with me, I say, great, let's meet at 5.30 a.m. in this part of Atlanta. And if they go, ah, that's kind of the traffic's going to be, and I know it's pretty early, I know they won't even take any of my advice. If they don't want to put the, the skin in of getting up early, coming over to where I work, then the rest of it. So being an appreciative mentee or prepared mentee, that's so, that's so good. Prepared, yes, absolutely. You know, you and, you've had those calls too, or those sit-downs and you're going, well, at least do as much thinking, please, as, as we're doing together now. Yeah, I, I think that's such a good idea. So I want to jump back into being selfless. If somebody says to you, Richard, I'd love to, I've read the book, I'm enjoying it, but I'm afraid if I'm selfless, people will take advantage of me. I think that's a common pushback. What do you, what's your response to that? Well, being taken advantage of. Okay, let's say, what, what might that context be? The whole idea is, yes, that might happen. The whole approach to the book is it's never going to be perfect, right? You can pick apart anything with one example, but that's anecdotal. By the percentages, though, uh, was what I posit in the book is 51% or greater of the time. If it's working, then you're doing the right thing. So let's just say it's um, I, I, I was going back to the bringing the donuts to work. And let's say people just expect it. They don't thank you. And it's like, OK, why bother do that? Right. That probably might be. 5% of the time or 10% of the time. So that does not make the rule. And uh, that was very important to me growing up because I thought everything had to be perfect. You know, many of us do that when we're in high school, we have these big ideas and big, and these sort of, these are the four walls of X, whatever those, that X is. And once one of the walls comes down, the whole building falls, right? That ain't true. A building can stand with three walls. 
And the point that we make about selflessness is it is not going to be perfect. Instead, what it is, is going to be an imperfect perfection and that we would that we should embrace that reality. It's true in business as well, which is great because your audience understand that being in that space. When you make business decisions, there is no perfect business decision. Mm -hmm. It is mitigating factors, doing the best, being above that 51 percent. Okay, we might go. Let's do that. That's Mm -hmm. the right decision to make. Because it's not going to be perfect. We can't control all of the market. Yeah, I, I love that. The idea that perfectionism is a is a house of cards and that yeah. if you remove one wall, the whole thing falls down. But that's just not true. The thing that's interesting to me about that is you, you're right. You can always, when I talk about positive thinking, somebody will say, but what about this bad thing that happened? And <laughs> it's the one thing that apparently yeah. now disproves all the research about the benefits of positive thinking or selflessness. What was the biggest surprise for you in the research process? So you mentioned the sciences a couple of times. You know, for me, one of the, you know, I wrote a book recently and there was a story in there about how if you're exposed to words about being old, you'll physically walk slower just from reading words about being old. And that was stunning to me, like Mm. that you're, you know, how important what you think, what you digest is to how you actually act. What was part of the research that you said, wait, what? Like, there's like, why aren't, I think every book, there's a, why aren't more people talking about this? Like, because the 50%, like, that's an amazing number about leaders and long-term benefits. But what was a piece of the research that kind of knocked you over? Every single time we looked into like the big questions of what a self-help book might be, we found that there was overwhelming research that showed, yeah, you do look better. You do live longer. and, and all the other examples that I brought up. And I was just shocked. I, I, I even did. So I, I told the, the scientists, I don't believe this. You cannot look better by being selfless. I just don't get it. So she said, okay, well, then let's do one on you. She went out and conducted the study. And she had three different types of Richards, selfish Richard, selfless Richard, and then one in the middle. And they, they had the same picture. And the only thing that was different is one of the bullets under selfless Richard, because there were three bullets like Richard, uh, he works in this profession, he has this hobby. And then one of them said, um, Richard takes care of his dad when he has time. That was the only difference in one of them. Mm-hmm. Everything else was equal. And selfish Richard, who didn't like to do anything for anybody else, came in at a 6. Uh, 6.4. Yeah, you know, I don't. You like you, and we were talking about this. Earlier. I did not want to know these numbers, put it that yeah. way. Yeah. And then the selfless Richard, and she she pulled in her study over one thousand uh, different respondents. Selfless Richard came in at seven point one, and I couldn't. I was like, okay, yeah, same it, exact photo, it, same exact photo. Mm-hmm. And you would get either one of those photos. You would not see all three. You get one of the, and sure enough, she proved it to me that you look better when you're when you're selfless. So funny. You know, my point was, I was like, I just can't believe it. I just, I know there's just, it, it can't be. But I love that she said, okay, well, let's prove it. Here's, here's yeah. a scientific way to study that versus, because I think sometimes when there's books about selflessness, it's kind of, you should just do it. Be a nicer person. Like they get kind of fuzzy. They get kind of soft. They don't, they don't jump into as much science as I feel like you jumped into. One of the things that I really enjoyed the book was your three plants theory about life. Because I tell entrepreneurs all the time that it's good to have a few faucets going at the same time. 
I mean, I'm a public speaker. Last March, every event I had got either postponed or put on pause. So as a business owner, thankfully, I had multiple faucets going. But walk people through your three plants theory. Well, I I was realizing that in my life early on, like when I first graduated from high school, I I couldn't afford to go to college. So I ended up working for Mrs. Fields Cookies. And so I like to say my first college was cookie college. And in fact, it was, by the way, John, because Mrs. Fields, you might know, had a cookie college in Park City, Utah. And and I went there. And all I did for about five years was work. Didn't go home, didn't go to family things, didn't go to church, didn't do nothing. Just like half a decade of cookies? Is that what I'm... (laughs) This is right. Half a decade and six cookies a day on top of that, I would eat. And I would sleep on the supply rafters. I was there late. You know, I didn't know anything else but that. And when I quit, I realized, wow, air smells pretty good outside. And wow, my friends are really caring and they're great people. There's mountains out here. There's mountains. (laughs) My parents are really funny people. I'd love, what am I doing? And um, the idea of three plants, watering three plants is, yeah, we can have that hot number one thing that we're so invested in, but don't forget the other things that we, other passions we've got in life and our other passions can be, it is the food bank that, you know, that gave us food or our family food when we were growing up. I want to give back and I need to continue to be there. There is the opportunity to, th- there could be a sport. Like I love to play tennis. I haven't played that. Now, keep on doing it. Just don't do it as often. Mm-hmm. So the idea is like it, with the water you got, yeah, you can put the 70% in the main thing, which may be your career, but put the 15% of water in family. Put the 15% water in the food bank. Put the 15% of water, you know, in the sport. Because when that main plant dies, and it always does, like it did for me, when I got fired mm-hmm. from Mrs. Fields, all of a sudden I'm sitting there going, all right, what do I do now? Yeah, you just lost 100% of your water. Uh, that's right. I lost I lost all my plants because I only had one. Yep. And I got nothing else cooking. And so, like, this book is a side gig for me. And my main gig is, you know, being a caregiver and working. But if I, you know, if I lose any one of these things, like you were just noting, I'd love to, I mean, if people will buy books, I'd love to keep on doing this or, or, or movie making. Would love to do that. So that's the idea. We, and, and to ver- be very simplistic about it, going being very high school about it or college, we've all had those friends when they get in a relationship, they disappear. Yep. yep. Where did Jim go? Is J- Jim around? Oh, Jim's back now. Oh, what happened? Oh, Jim broke up. Okay. Yeah. Good to see you, and Jim. Jim. When Jim tries to slide in like he hasn't oh, been yeah. gone for nine months, you're like, whoa, easy, Jim. Easy. That's right. There's a lot of life that's happened when you were with Susan. Yeah. Why don't you that's pump right. the brakes? Yeah. Friendship ain't cheap, buddy. And I yeah. had a friend say that to me, John, too. When you tried to re-enter. He said, Rich, you, where you been? You got a friend here for life if you decide mm-hmm. to invest. He almost said it directly this way. You got a friend for life if you invest. If you at least put into it a little bit. And I was like, I am so glad he, he said that to me. Because it, it realigned the stuff we got around us. And we have to, we have to cultivate it. Yep, 100%. One of the things you just mentioned was being a caregiver. Which is a big part of your story big part of your transition. How did you make that decision? Walk people through that process. So journalism is like, we like to say it's an eight day a week job. Because we, we, I was called out and I was sent, you know, sent to Paris for the Bataclan massacre. I was in Ferguson during Michael Brown. I was in Napa Valley during an earthquake with vats of wine being spilled. You know, I could be sent anywhere. And so when I 
knew that my dad would need help because he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's eight years ago, it was like, well, do you not care for your dad? Uh, okay, you do. So then what are you going to do? Are you live in New York or you're traveling around? There's no way you can help what he's going to need because Alzheimer's is a devastating disease. So I decided after thinking about it that maybe there's something we can do with my, my work. So I talked to my boss and I walk into the office and I'm thinking she's going, Richard, we love you. Good guy. Square peg, round hole. Thank you. Next time when things change, come on back. Right. We'll talk. Instead, what Yvette Miley told me as an executive editor, as, you know, uh, running all day side on a major network, she says, I'm a long distance caregiver like you, Richard. My mom is in Florida. And let's figure something out together. So we figured something out together. She said, come up with some ideas. So I, like I was saying to you earlier, I I wrote it out. Yep. You put the work in, put the work on. Met with her next. And I said, these are my ideas. She had hers. And then I had my email ready because I was written. I sent it to her a year later. She's, I asked her if we could pull one of those lovers. She said, yes. And so for six years, I've been working Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then traveling back. I mean, I probably put in two to 300,000 miles a year. You never know what can happen. Uh, organizations are becoming far more selfless writ large. They are, they've lived through it in the last year. Mm-hmm. They put in, uh, devices they put in the culture most importantly has become more selfless number two the infrastructure as a result of that has had to become more selfless my business as a good example 30 rock is now wow i mean five percent of us are there john every Mm -hmm. uh, that what used to yet we still are able to put on a show we're still employ everybody for the most part we have systems to care for you if you happen to become sick that we never had before people are calling you and the culture has changed. I mean, you as a, as an author, I'd be very interested to see what is what we'll call the fourth industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. What is it? Because we're we are now in one of those cataclysmic times, just like with the end of the Cold War, when all of a sudden all of the technology was all of a sudden focused on what stuff to make meism really good. Mm-hmm. Right. All of a sudden that that military infrastructure, that was our fourth, that was our third or 3.5, whatever you want to call it. However you break it down. Yeah. You want to throw an AI, go ahead. You can do all of that. I mean, anything you want, but that's really all of three. I think we're going through four right now. Mm. We're we're in the beginning of four because it is the whole world going through something that is value-wise and culture-wise. It's already changed us. I I 100% agree that, you know, I'm doing a bunch of virtual events for clients and companies are saying, how do we help our people? They're at home. They feel stuck. We're getting emails from them at 5 a.m. and at midnight. No one has any of the shutdown techniques they used to have, which was drive home from the office. So they're working constantly. They feel thin. Culture's stressed because they're missing the micro interactions of bringing in the donuts or seeing somebody in the break room. And I'm getting a lot more heart questions than head questions than I did maybe five years ago, maybe 10 years ago. So I 100% agree with that. I'll give you two more questions. Um, one that we have to ask because your bio mentions you've lived, worked, and volunteered on every continent. Um, that's amazing. That I'm assuming that includes Antarctica. Um, so what like- <laughs> It what does we, not actually. It doesn't, isn't Antarctica a client? A it, continent? It, is, it is. And I was talking with the, uh, with the press people about that. I was like, well, no, they said no. 
people will say every continent and they know that you were not allowed to go to Antarctica. And I was like, really? Are you sure now? Because I'm going to get that question. And here's John Acuff and asking that John exact Acuff. question. I'm glad he's I'm, doing I'm it. deep in the bio. Like I'm line seven in the bio. We're not allowed to go to Antarctica? Is that new? Well, well not unless you're a scientist, right? Uh, not creative writers? They don't have creative writers there that go to write about the snow? I So I did. I was going to be part of, there's a, a boat that goes full of scientists to Antarctica every year from Australia, focused on gender equity and science. And I was I was slated to go with them one year, and then I had to change. And I was like, finally, I get to go there, cover an important topic, number one, but get to Antarctica as a journalist. So journalists can go uh, ah, depending on what they're they're okay. covering as well. But it's, it's it's generally very very difficult to get there. I'm not going to say you cannot go there if you're not one of these things because I don't know that, but I know it's extremely difficult. Mm. Because they're worried, obviously, about our carbon footprint there. I was kind of going in with a, like, I thought there was, like, a carnival cruise line that you could, <laughs> if I was, like, I want to do shuffleboard and penguins, then I just, <laughs> like, the world is my oyster, and yeah. that includes, and this is actually kind of disappointing to hear this, infor- like, who knew it was off limit? I never wanted to go to Antarctica so badly until I knew I couldn't go. I, I'm not going to say you can't go, but I just know it's highly restricted because well, they're worried okay. about carbon footprint. So the last question, this one's a little ridiculous. Um, you worked at 30 Rock. We've talked about that a little bit. If you had to put together a five-person pickup basketball team using names we know, like don't say we got a producer named Jerry Smith who has an amazing wingspan. I don't want to hear any of that. Five names, pickup basketball. You're going to compete against whoever, I don't know, another network. Maybe there's a really competitive underground five-person basketball league um, where all the stations play each other. And, you know, who are you picking oh, from 30 boy. Rock? And you know what? I'm going to, you can include previous television shows. So if you're like Tracy Morgan is on my, like, whatever, like who's, who's on your team? Ooh, boy. I never thought you'd bring that up. I'd have to go with some of my news anchors, fellow news anchors that I know that are, um, are they tall? Yeah. Sam Brock, a uh, great correspondent. Very, very okay. tall. Sounds like an athlete. Just that last name is like yeah. solid. He is very, very, very good. Uh, I think I'd add along with Sam, probably, in terms of somebody who has a big wingspan and just can muscle you down the court, it's probably Joshua Johnson. Um, Joshua Johnson. Yeah. He's, he's he, in the other news anchor. He's a news anchor. Joshua and, Johnson. Uh, you know, Seth Myers, give me a like. I was okay. about to say Seth. I was about to say Seth. Uh, you think he, he's got like an outside game mostly? Uh, I, I'd put him probably a point. Okay. I keep, okay. Him, I keep him on. I keep him, you know, I, I don't know if he's, <laughs> he's, he's no, he's no Seth Curry. Put it that way. Steph yeah, Curry, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. yeah. He's, he's, okay. He's not that. So we got Seth Myers, Joshua Johnson, Sam B-Rock. I, that's, I bet that's what he makes you call him. <laughs> Does he make you call him Sam B-Rock? Cause if your name is Brock, that just kind of flows off. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I, I do wish it was uh B-Rock would be, if you saw Sam, you would probably go. Yeah. Um, that, that is absolutely somebody that I might have on my team just because of how strong he is and, and how good he is. Okay, last one because you're on the team. Um, and well, this one I, I, need I, from, so, I need from a sitcom. I need I, a sitcom. Like you got to somebody that's from a sitcom. And I'd go, you know what? That's a really interesting choice. You know, I've never thought of this. I'd have to go. I, you're right. I'd have to go with Tracy Morgan then. Okay, because he'd make everybody laugh then. How about that? You go. That with would that be one? fun. All right. That would be. I mean, I, you know, I would have accepted Tina Fey because I feel like she would be very in, team manager. Maybe like a team manager. I could see. Um, oh yeah, we would get Alec nothing Baldwin. done. We would get nothing yeah. done. No, Alec. I'm, I'm sorry. I probably wouldn't put on the team. Um, you feel he's more like a racquetball kind of squash guy. Uh, he's probably more of a tennis guy. 
Tennis, yeah. Okay. I think he's more tennis. of a tennis guy, definitely. That is uh, so good. That is so good. Well, that I, you know, I don't get to ask that question very often. It's probably <laughs> the first slash last uh, time. That's and great. That's super, I'm, though. Yeah. Richard, this has been a blast. Um, I'm so appreciative of you not only sharing about your book, um, which again is enough about me, the unexpected power of selflessness, but sharing how you approach mentors, sharing some of the funny sides of your job. Where can people find out more about you? I'd love to be able to say, hey, if you (laughs) want to know more about Richard, like here's where to go get the book or follow him online or he's got a podcast. Where can people go for more Richard Louie? Yeah, John, thanks so much. And this is, uh, I, I had a great time. Questions I never have been asked so far. And uh, I love that because it made me really dig in and think about this. Uh, I will say, uh, go, go check it out on social anywhere. Um, and you can follow the, the book and what we're saying and doing about the book and plus the new movie that's coming out. And so just, uh, yeah, richardlouis.com and Richard Louie and all those handles. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you doing this with me and congrats on the book and good luck working on the next one. I can't wait to see what that one's about. I'm going to ask for my 15 minutes, John. So there you go. I'll be prepared. Thanks, Richard. Okay. See ya. Wasn't that a fun episode? I loved getting to have that conversation with Richard. There's not a lot of people who can make a goal out of being selfless and His approach was really fun, really fascinating. And who knew that Seth Meyers was eating that much break room fish? There's not a lot of people that'll bring fish to a workspace, heat it up in the microwave, in the break room. It's a bold move. It is a really bold move. That was fascinating to me. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you liked it, if you've liked any of the other episodes, please review it. I love the reviews you've been doing. They're so helpful and so encouraging. That's it for this week. I'll see you next week. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast.